welcome to Orange Shore. I am your host, Danya Craddock, and we are Orange Shore, where we focus on African-American literature. We bring to you each week new and refreshing reads. We bring books to the forefront from the sea of books. We bring them each and every week to you each and every Thursday and through the week we bring books to you Monday through Friday during the day at 3 p.m. Um, our special guest for today is Miss Rita Woods. She is a debut author and her first book is called Remembrance. And let me just tell you a little bit about Miss Rita Woods before we bring her out and a little bit about her book. Miss Rita Woods is a board certified internist currently serving as a medical director of a wellness center that serves one of the largest trade unions in the nation a former bodybuilder she lives in suburban chicago with her husband son's perfect granddaughter and four cats all this stuff, you guys remember this, because this stuff is very, this information about Rita Wood, I think is very important and pertinent to her books, but we're going to find out. When she is not busy working or writing, Dr. Wood spends time with her family at Homer Glen Library, where she serves on the board of, excuse me, the board of trustees. Remembrance is her first novel. Now, let me tell you guys, Remembrance is, is, has a several twists and turns. Remember, it's a rumor, a whisper passed in the fields and bell behind sheets of laundry. This is Remembrance, a hidden stop on the Underground Railroad to freedom, a safe haven protected by more than secrecy. If you can make it there to Remembrance, and it's a it's a catchy phrase, Remembrance, remembering the past, and then it becomes a city. Oh, she's going to have to tell you more about this. Ohio present day, an elderly woman who is more than what she seems. This is how it starts out. And then it goes into the Haitian Revolution. Oh, my gosh, you guys, this is riveting. And I want to, before I continue more, I'm going to let her go ahead and tell you the story of Remembrance. Please welcome Dr. Reader Woods to Onshore Radio. Dr. Woods. Hi, Danya. How are you? Fine. How are you doing this um I'm just I'm great. <laughs> I gotta hire you as my PR person. You are amazing. I have been so you know, I'm a history buff and so it is historical what they would classify it at and you could tell me if the classification is different, it's classified as historical fiction and it could be contemporary at the same time. It's it's a very exciting read, very timely. It's Mardi Gras, you know, yeah. and we talk about Mardi Gras in the book. It's, it just takes you on a journey. So readers, ever readers, listening audience, I'm telling you, Dr. Rita Woods is going to take us there, and we have some time with her, so we're just going to kick it off and just tell us to tell us a little bit more about Remembrance. It's all so, yours. Um, okay, so it's it's a it's kind of an interesting story. Like I I love cemeteries. They are like my favorite things to do, no matter where I travel or go, because they feel kind of magical and it feels like you have a, a straight line from your ancestors to the spirit. So I always feel like places like that speak to me. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I was in a cemetery in Ohio, which someone had said was nearby was the stop on an underground railroad. So, of course, that kind of gets your wheels turning like, huh, that's interesting. And that makes you look at the place in a, in a completely different light. And the way that whole idea for Remembrance came about was um, I was sitting in the bathroom reading, as people do, and there was a book um, um, called Quantum Mechanics for Dummies, and I didn't understand anything that was happening. But the one thing that stood out was, you know when you're on a train and there's a train next to you on the track and one of them starts moving and you can't really tell whether you're going moving or the other train is moving, and yes, yeah, some people may be able to tell, but I know you're, you're I can tell by your writing, you're very vivid. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the idea behind quantum mechanics, which is time and space and speed are all relative. Um, and I thought, well, what if there was someone who had the power to manipulate that? And if they did, what would they do with it? And that's kind of where the idea of this voodoo priestess came about, um, where she could manipulate time and space and create this sanctuary, which is what remembrance is, for runaway slaves. And so once you get there, because of the difference in time and space uh, mechanics, you're basically invisible to the outside world. So that's kind of how the story came about. Is, is it somewhere alone to get that feeling of Wakanda? No, not really. <laughs> somewhere. Well, the, the thing, I think that all the similarities, I wouldn't even presume to think that I write that well, but the, <laughs> the similarities are, you know, I wanted to be, to not be these women to not be victims. I wanted them to be powerful in their own right. You know, they lived in horrible times and had horrible things happen to them, all for women, even though they lived in somewhat different times, they had these horrendous things happen to them. Mm-hmm. Slavery, the loss of their children, the loss of their home. But I didn't want them to be victims. I wanted them to have the power to control their own world. Okay, let's back up before we get to this wonderful, this sanctuary called Remembrance and how that how your characters come together and end up with Remembrance. Um, you have certain characters that you talk about, Grimaire and Margot and Berenice. Let's let's journey our way into the town of remembrance and remembering through our characters. You start off with very contemporary. Um, your character mm-hmm. is in the hospital. And you guys, I, I'm not going to do a spoiler, I promise you, because it is so <laughs> much into this book that it is impossible to really do a spoiler. I know a lot of people say, oh, Don, you're telling the story. I ain't going to want to read it or whatever. No, Donya Craddock <laughs> is not telling you the story. We're bringing this story in on onshore because it is just so much to it and if you sit down there and read it, you're going to say, wow, she, I'm, you're going to be mad at me because I didn't tell you something. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and start with our early character in a nursing home, okay. a character named Winter and what have you. Go ahead. So the story kind of focuses around these four women. Um, and it goes across uh, three centuries. And it starts like before um, the, the Haitian Revolution. And um, Abigail is, so as, as most people know, um, 
the slaves revolted in Haiti in the late 1790s. And what the planters did is they sent their families away from the island, from Haiti, for safekeeping. And so Abigail's a slave, and her master insists that she accompany her mistress to New Orleans. And she has to leave her babies behind. She has two five-year-old, she has five-year-old twins. She has to leave them behind. And he promises he's going to take care of them. And as soon as this pesky little revolution is over, they'll everything will go back to normal. But as you know, <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way. And so Abigail, in her rage at having lost her family, her home, her husband, walks away. And that's sort of the trigger for her power. Um, Fast forward a little bit to, um, this is the 1790s, fast forward to just before the um, Civil War, you have, she has created this sanctuary, and she has, she wants to, but she's getting older, and she needs to be able to pass her powers, her legacy, down to someone, and she sort of raised this girl named Winter, um, and Winter was never a slave, she was, she was basically found just outside of remembrance, almost frozen to death, and Abigail raised her as her own. But Winter's kind of undependable. Um, You know, when she tries to help people, she basically sets them on fire, that kind of thing. She she has great power, but not great control. And so there's a concern that now you have this remembrance that Abigail has created and and as she's gotten older, is losing her ability to hold it together, but has no one to pass it down to. Um, third character is Margot, who is a house slave um, in New Orleans, and she's been promised her freedom um, at her 18th birthday. And she has synesthesia, which is um, a real medical condition. And for those who don't know what that is, those are people who um, they can taste the color blue, and they can um, they can see music. They can hear chocolate. It's like a rewiring in their brain. That's actually a real thing. And she has this, but what she's able to do is touch people and be able to sense what's wrong with them medically. So she's been promised her freedom um, just before her, at her 18th birthday, but just before that, she and her sister Veronique are sold off to pay her master's debt. And she ultimately finds her way to remembrance. And the final character is Gael, and she is um, from Haiti. She's a Haitian refugee who ends up in Ohio after the um, Haitian earthquake. And that's kind of where the story starts. And she's uh, a nurse's aide in Cleveland. And one day someone leaves this very ancient-looking woman, just abandons this ancient-looking woman in the lobby of her nursing home. The woman doesn't speak. No one knows where she came from or what her story is, and the only thing she responds to is when Gael sings or speaks in Haitian Creole, the woman sings to respond. And and through the story, you realize that all of these women have a connection through the centuries. And a lot of these characters come from or are surrounded by great inspiration. And one of those inspirations I want to really key in on is the, her um, Margot's relationship with her grandmother, I believe, Grammaire. And mm-hmm. so can you expound a little bit more on that relationship with how that impact Margot's life? Because, yes, she was um, so prior to turning 18 after, you know, the mistress 
really, you know, told Grameer that she was going to free her daughters. And she right. never had the intentions of freeing Grameer because Grameer right. has such great power. So if you can expound upon that relationship, uh, Grameer and Margot, and how it inspired her. Margot is the one that actually, you know, ends up and remembers, but she does have right. her sister, Veronique, who was also pivotal in her story of, you know, of coming of age. Yes. Right. It, in some ways, it, it was a little bit tragic because even though um, Margot was a slave, I mean, you know, she, she had kind of favored status. You know, she, you know, spoke a couple of languages. She could read. She could write. She played piano. Um, and so sometimes I think what happens when you're in that position, you almost get lulled into a false sense of security. Like, mm -hmm. you know, your life is not terrible but you are still a slave and you are still at the whim of, of your master. So Grammaire, um had raised her and her sister Veronique. And Grammaire is what we would probably consider a psychic. So she, she speaks to the spirits and the spirits speak to her and she's able to sense when trouble is coming. And her mistress, Mr. Tannigan, is extremely superstitious and she believes in, in when Grandmare tells her that something bad is coming or that she should do something. She believes that. And so she, the plan was, always, was to free the granddaughters, um, Veronique and Margot, but she was never going to free. They were never going to free um, uh, Grandmare because she, just, she was too valuable to the mistress. Um, and there was kind of uh, the, the relationship between Margot and, and um, um, Grandmere was a little bit fraught in that Margot, it's not that she didn't believe in the spirits, but she felt very much like she was much more practical. She also was a little bit afraid for her grandmother because the master was not feeling this, you know, spirit and, and fortune telling and prophecy stuff at all. And um, she felt very much like we need to stay on this plane. You're listening to the spirits, but you know they don't they don't rule this world so there was a little bit of friction that way although they adored each other right and i i'm i want to say that um just to point out how really powerful Grimira was uh, there was an episode in where she was talking when the family had went to New Orleans and she was talking about the town and how they were going to experience great loss and you were very vivid, even in, with the death that occurred with her, you know, her supernatural powers of storing, telling. Can you kind of expound on just that aspect? Because I think people just, just to see how powerful that character was and how intimidating it was for the master, who I, who I believe he did succumb death, and how the mistress had really taken to Grimere and it was almost felt like it was kind of like her lifeline, if you would, yeah. in terms of, you know, I need, when she was losing her own children, I need you to save my children. I need you. Yeah. And her yeah. her knowledge of herbs and the healing of her, her one of her sons, it was, was near death and one of her daughters died and her husband ended up dying. The mistress husband mm -hmm. daughter ended up dying, but the knowledge of herbs, you 
bring that into play very vividly, you know, the different herbs that can do this, can do that. Um, just go ahead and just explain that whole epidemic that occurred and, you know, really emphasize the power of that character. <laughs> so in New Orleans, um, you know, and a lot of that was based on, on true fact. In New Orleans, well, not just New Orleans, but pretty much the, the American South, um, and even in places like Philadelphia, every seven or eight years or so, um, not quite that regularly, but every seven years, every five to seven years, there would be these massive epidemics of like yellow fever and malaria, and and they would just wipe out um, the, the populations. At one point, um, I don't remember right offhand, but I think New Orleans lost something like sixty percent of its population to yellow fever. Yeah, I think it was. I think and, you said eight thousand. At oh, yeah, I was like thousands of people, and it was it was it was horrible. I mean, so that thing. There's a scene where. She's saying um, she's predicting that people will float, you know, corpses will float in the street. And that truly did happen. Um, there were so many people had died. They were just dropping dead in the streets of New Orleans, and there wasn't even anyone to bury them or to, to get them out of the streets. And so when the rains came, they just, the corpses just float, literally floated through the streets of New Orleans. Um, so the Grand Mayor. I think it's a combination of, you know, there are people who are very intuitive. Um, you know, she was only two, probably two generations removed from the African continent. And so she had learned this, you know, herbs and roots. And the countryside, particularly in South, is just filled, if you know that, that, that information with um, plants and things that can be used for medicinal purposes. And this was her strength. In addition to being, you know, this the spirit speaking to her and her being a very intuitive person. She was very, very smart. So with the the episode that happened, the, one of the scenes, and it is one of my favorite scenes, is the spirit speak, begins just before Margot's 18th birthday. She has another one of her premonitions, that it is going to be a really, really bad year for the fever. Mm-hmm. And she burst in on a dinner party and, and warns the family. The, the master is not trying to hear any of that. He's, for a couple of reasons, he's arrogant, and he also, although he'd never admitted, he, she terrifies him. Um, but the mistress, on the other hand, is very much attuned to, if that's what, if that's what her real name is Fortuna, if that's what Fortuna says, then that's what we need to do. And so um, all, all that she does by being correct is solidified the fact that she will never be freed. So it kind of works in her disfavor by be- making herself so valuable to this family, particularly to the mistress who counts on her to read the signs and read the future and protect her family. Um, the mistress really does see her as magical in a way. Um, she she basically solidifies the fact that she will never be released. But as a favor to her, the, the family has agreed to um, free the grandchildren. And which did not work on. If you're just now tuning in, we are on the phone or on onshore with author Rita Woods, and she is the author of her first novel, Remembrance. And she, she, we're going to jump into. We read, we read her bio a little bit earlier in the conversation, but she's actually a, 
a, I think a doctor, uh, was it a trainer? Did I miss all of that, all the different things? I'm just trying to <laughs> recap for the people that just, you know, tuning in right. and just kind of yeah. give your overview. A, a former bodybuilder from Chicago area who has wrote a profound book, Remembrance. We were just going in on some of her characters, one of the characters being Grimere and how powerful she was. Uh, and played a, a pivotal role with one of some of her main characters. And we're going to also go in. Let's, um, I'm happy we talked about Margot and the influence of Margot. And I think that we um, can lead up to a little bit more about Abigail. And I maybe I might because I read so many books. But Abigail, her husband was... A part was he in the revolution? A part of the revolution, yeah. or did I mix? Am I mixing my Abigail? It was Abigail's no, husband. No, no, no. That was actually, that's actually true. He he um, was a he lived on another plantation uh, on the estate. They were in Haiti. It was San Domingo at that time. He lived on another estate, a neighboring estate. Um, he had a lot of freedom because he was a cooper, so he worked woodwork, and that was very valuable to be able to make barrels for the sugar and the coffee on, at that time. So he he um, was allowed to visit his um, um, his family, his wife and his two children, and um, he joined the Maroons, uh, which is what the slaves were called who ran off into the mountains. And um, so the history of that is that once they ran, nobody, it was very hard to find them. It was, you know, Haiti was very rugged, very mountainous, very, very jungle-like. And so once those, there were huge colonies of these slaves called Maroons who had escaped to the mountainside, and they were the kind of the, the germ that started the, the revolution. But obviously, if they were caught, <laughs> they were just sort of brutal things happened to them to try to make an example to keep other, pe- other slaves from running off to do the same thing. Yeah, and I want to say, and Abigail, she ended up in New Orleans um, with the mistress. And I, I got, yes. yes, okay, okay, and and now our, or I guess going a little bit more about Winter in terms of Winter story. Winter was actually found outside of Remembrance. So, um, was it? Right. Yeah, I can't remember. Winter was found outside of. Oh. Abigail, yeah, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Abigail actually right. finished raising members because, again, we're talking about that super power and, you know, passing down that, you know, what inherently I started when I was reading, the, like, that DNA memory. And it got, yes. and, and so let's talk about the, the relationship between Abigail and Winter. Kind of dive into more detail, a little bit more detail about their relationship, which, you know, really evolved at uh, Winter's character and Galele. I'm probably massacred in, in their relationship. Gael. Gael. So yeah. we, we go from Ab- Abigail to Winter to Gael. And just kind of um, talk a little bit in depth about their relationship. So... It actually, when the story picks up, it is. It, um, it actually was sort of frayed. Um, Abigail is very, very angry, and at one point, I think Winter even says, "You know, everything I do, everything I say, you know, Mother Abigail is angry with me." And that that was true on some level, because um, she had raised this girl up, 
um, from infancy. So essentially, um, Winter's mother had been a runaway slave that was trying to escape, trying to find remembrance, find remembrance, but was caught in a snowstorm, ended up dying, of freezing to death. Mother Abigail finds her, but also finds her baby, um, who was still alive. She takes uh, that baby, who is Winter, and raises her as, essentially as her own, um, recognizing in her that she has this incredible po power to um, manipulate electrons and protons and matter and reshape them into things. Um, as time goes on, she, Mother Abigail um, wants to make Winter her heir apparent. Like, I am getting older, I'm, I'm old, I'm weakening, I can feel my powers waning, but I want to um, bequeath remembrance. I'm, this is my going to be my legacy. This is going to be a safe place for African Americans to live. No one can ever bother us. Um, we can't, you know, we have our own village here. It's a beautiful place. But winter, um, a couple of problems exist in that for, for that. Number one is winter doesn't see the same threat that everyone else who's there sees. She never lived outside of remembrance. She's never had any, she's never had to, you know, witness some of the horrific brutality that the other slaves have um, have witnessed. Almost everybody else who's, who's, who is there, who lives there, got there because it was, I'm stealing myself away. I will not, I'll, I'll die or I'll be free. So they made this, this decision in extremis and had and they made it you know in the face of some of the most brutal uh, horrific things that one man can do to another many of them had left family behind to run away but winter never had that didn't have that same sensibility she had never had that she'd grown up safe and cared for and and protected um so she she wasn't honing or she wasn't disciplined at all so she was incredibly powerful but um, part of it was she didn't see the urgency, and the other part of it was that she just could not focus. There was nothing in her life that made her burn with that same kind of passion that Mother Abigail did because of the loss that she suffered. So what that did was it started to kind of um, uh, eat at the relationship because, you know, the less the, the more time went on and it became apparent that she wasn't going to be the person that they needed her to be, the more angry and frustrated and desperate Mother Abigail became. And then, of course, you had Josiah kind of in her ear saying, yeah, this is a waste of time. We need to come up with a plan B, which wasn't helping. <laughs> Thank you so much for building that relationship. I think that is so paramount into the story of remembrance. Uh, I, I want to find out how I want to go into you go in a lot of different directions and you do a lot of subliminals and I want to really take the subliminals and really spotlight and just see how important it is in telling the story. So I say that to say that the economics part of it, you talk about, you know, you know, you talk about, um, Hennigan, Hennigan and his misfortune and his, you know, he owed the sugar man, he owed the coffee, he owed the silver. He had, you know, he had a shipyard in Cuba that had issues. He had all this, he had all this possession. And then you talk about, 
you know, a little bit about uh, Abigail's husband, who his character, what he what he can do with the sugar, the coffee and just the whole economics. How important was that in telling this story? Because you definitely could have left it up, but but you chose to bring that to light. You know, the world was so as you dealt as I delved into it, it'd be. It's one thing to hear, like, you know, slaves were sold and bought and sold, and you know that. We all know that. Mm-hmm. But um, it particularly for in, in, Mar- in Margot's situation, I think she forgot that she was just another asset. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, she was no different. You know, she could read. She could write. She could speak English. She could speak French. She was better educated than 90% of white males in the country at that time. But when it came down to it, in the very, very end, she was no different than a mule. You know, she was a table. She was just something that needed to be sold off, you know, to pay the, to pay the merchant. Um, and the other thing that I found fascinating um, about that whole time was New Orleans was this very, very interesting place. It was right around the... Um, Haitian Revolution, it was still Spanish controlled. It was not French. It was Spanish controlled. And, you know, there were all, you know, and then there were these other, you know, the Spanish, the French. And Hannigan was an American. And Americans were kind of looked down on as, uh, you know, they're kind of the latecomers. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, not too classy people. They're loud, they're vulgar, they're disgusting. But, they, you know, in this case, it's like, yeah, but he's also rich. Um, so there, that was that played into the economics and the dynamics and how people related to each other. Mm-hmm. And there were free blacks. You know, um, there was a system of placage. Everything it was just so fascinating. And the economics, I think, is what drove, it drives the story um, for me. In Haiti, you know, they were shipping in something like 8,000 slaves a year because they needed to supply sugar to Europe. Um, And, of course, if you're doing that, that's going to change the complexion of what that island is going to look like, how the slaves are going to respond to things. They're going to be very different than if they're five generations removed from the African continent. So, you know, and again, all of that's driven by the economy of of the plantation. I want to say, I want to say in one scene. Oh, I can't remember. Whereas you know, why would we have like five? Oh, I can't remember. You have all these slaves, but yet our whole economic system is disrupted because of the revolts and the rebellion and all those different things in Santo Domingue. So it's just fascinating yeah. to say, hey, that you know all this problem we've done all this and we still can't contain these people whether it be their spirituality but do <laughs> but do they couldn't they could not really control yeah. that and it's just amazing yep. how we we how you weave together um historical elements with the storyline and just really giving power in in the face of a huge mighty disappointment even in the space of uh, a space of spiritual control and you know domination that can lead to a liberal liberation but can 
also hurt in other aspects that you cannot control and ultimately you wish right. to control. Um, I do also want to uh, ask you about, we're going to just go high level because I know we went really, really deep for everybody. If you're just tuning in, we're on with Rita Woods talking about her book, Remembrance. I wanted to ask you about... Uh, what do you expect the readers to take away from your book? Because a lot of times, you know, when you mention just high level, oh, you know, dealing with the enslavement and the power of enslavement and people say, oh, I don't want to read something like that. But, right. and they don't get into the book and they don't see all these fascinating, these twists and turns and these elements with actual life. So what do you tell their reader that they can take away and why they should, why they should pick up remembrance? You know, it is a, it is a book that is set in, in the atmosphere of slavery. It, it, that is absolutely true, but I don't think it's a, to me, it's not a story about slavery. It's a story about resilience. It's a story about the magic inside all of us. And the power, I mean, every one of these women, when, and, and you could have set this in a, you know, in the future or in, or in current times and have something catastrophic happen. And, and it's, I think it still could have worked, but it's the, it's the story of these four women when faced with the most absolute um, awful thing, devastating losses that you can imagine, they don't fold. They don't give up. They they, deep, they dig deep down inside themselves, and they control their world. Um, and part of the reason I wanted, I wrote it this the way that I wrote it with the, the magic of the little bit of magic that's in it is I, you know, 80, per, 80 to 90 percent of the human brain isn't even used. We don't know what it's for. So how do we know that someone couldn't possibly, you know, manipulate matter with their brain. I mean, that's always that possibility in my head. And I wanted on some level, and this might be too strong a word, but I wanted on some level to be able to weaponize these women so that it's like no one will mm. mess with me anymore, you know. So it's not a book about slavery per se. Okay. Although that is the incite, you know, that is the inciting situation. Okay, well, let's dive a little bit about Rita Woods. Now, does one of these characters just hold a special place in your heart and like, oh, this is my character right here. This is, you know, it's so endearing. I know all of them characters because all of those characters are, you know, within your head. But which does one of them hold a special place in your heart? You know, I kind of go back and forth. I I, I like Margot, um, and I can see that, you know, um, I, I can identify with her a little bit just in terms of, you know, I grew up kind of middle class and so and, and very protected and very sheltered. And so, you know, once you got out in the world and when things would happen, I would be shocked. Like, I heard, I knew there were bad people in the world, but really? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Gael, you know? Yes. Um, she, I, I just, I just like her sensibility, and I have to tell you, one of my favorite characters in the book is Dick, the, the little white, confused white boy. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. That hangs out with the slavers. It's like, oh, poor babe, he's just so confused. Uh huh. And I like that you had, well, really, when you started off, the African American character. Oh my gosh, what is her name? That was with Gael. Um, oh, 
she worked with Gael. It was oh the oh yeah 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 the the worked in the nursing home right. It's just I I I was listening I was reading that and I was telling you know somebody about you know here it is it, the books just kicked off with a fascinating relationship with African Americans kind of somewhat disconnected and I said this must be a, a, a millennial or something like that jokingly as I read the book like and then you had <laughs> and then you had this. Uh, uh, Gael, eh, who's more in tune, connected, and really want to understand Winter, had a, you know, had a sense of discernment and connection with Winter. So, yeah, I, 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 I think it's fascinating. Just like you brought Big, there's just these these sideline characters that are very interesting and in how mm-hmm. they fit into the overall story. Um, is there anything you want to share with the listening audience about the book or your upcoming dates or um, um, book signings or anything you have coming up in the future? Well, I, I, um, I'll be in, this is very strange. I have never been oddly to new Orleans in my life. Oh my God. And (laughs) I was going to ask you, was your background, you know, you know, no. what was your background? Is just so is a, basically fascination and research and just creativity. Yes. Never been. In fact, um, I'm I'm from originally from Detroit, mm-hmm. and um, the only time, the very first time I I had ever been any further south, and this is a true story, any further south than Ohio, I was already in medical school, and I had seen this story on TV about poor people and they wanted doctors and I volunteered for the summer and my mom's like are you insane you've never been further south than Ohio so I get to um Alabama and I don't know if you know this but I did not know that roaches could fly um, oh yeah (laughs) and that was news to me and um, I had never seen, like, alligators in, like, the real world other than the zoo. Mm-hmm. I really, really wanted to go home. Um, so I, I'm mostly a Midwest, East Coast kind of girl. And so I've never been to New Orleans. So I will actually be in New Orleans at the Tennessee Williams uh, Book Festival in, Mar- in March. I mean, it'll be the first time I've, I've ever been in New Orleans, which is so funny since so much of the book takes place there. I know a lot of the book take place and your, your vivid discussion <laughs> and in Mardi Gras, you know, especially, you know, Fat Tuesday's coming up, you know, on the right. 25th. And so your your discussion and how Mardi Gras in, impact, you know, the different characters and how you discuss that mm-hmm. is, is, is amazing. <laughs> Well, that should be a that should be a huge treat for you and and, and I, uh, discussion with the Mardi Gras down in. I've been oh, down. I'm gonna diet through the whole first two weeks so that I can just eat my way through New Orleans. Uh, yeah, New Orleans is all I can say is, you know what? When you talk about let me just when you talk about the ghosts of New Orleans, New Orleans and Louisiana. And I thought I thought you captured that very well. Have a very dark past that really, even yeah. to this day, they can't get beyond. And the some right. of the stench when you drive through Baton Rouge, you automatically connect 
that past, it is a stench, it is a depressing past. It's, it's a fascinating place, a lot of creativity and all that kind of stuff, but that past still lingers around that yes. state. And it's it's yes. daunting, and you're going, to, you're going to sense that even if you go on a plantation tour, anywhere, you're going to, that past is ever-present. Even in the and isn't, isn't that amazing though? I think, and for me, that's sort of the fascination of of writing history is just what you said. The past is ever present. It's if you just slow down and get off your computer and listen, it's all it's still there. Every, the, where we are today is a direct a direct line from where we've been. Yeah, it's it's. It's it's eerie, but I but I'm always fascinated with Louisiana. I want to go to the Louisiana Book Fest, so I want to we we um, matter of fact, one of the book clubs that meet here regularly, one of their top picks a book is called The Secrets of Newberry, which took place in Louisiana. <laughs> so okay. that Texas Louisiana, and you mentioned Texas in your book too. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I, I, let me tell you guys, this is. For her, I don't, I don't know if she's got books coming up. I know we're over our time. My gosh, I cannot believe I'm going over the hour. But that's how, you know, in terms of this pick for Onshore was a great pick. And I applaud you, your publishing company, and those that have really, that sent the book to the Doc Bookshop, which supports the radio show Onshore, because it hit on the nail about what we are about in terms of bringing the character to life, bringing the story to life, just all the tales. It is, it's just one of those books. And I can see, you know, hopefully we can uh, bring you to Texas and just, kind of really get a book signing going on because <laughs> I, I feel if you continue to write hopefully you'll you'll produce another book um that people will enjoy for decades and decades to come personally so thank you so okay. much that, okay. that means i can't tell you that means so much to me oh i thank you so much for your work um if you want the books out there we have the book at the doc bookshop um and you can visit her website, which is your website is w dot readerwoods dot com. Did yes, I Rita Woods, yeah, Rita Woods, right? Right. So the Doc Bookshop, you can get the books or you can visit her website and find out some of the other indie locations or Amazon. Try your indie stores first before you go to Amazon. That's always a great place Absolutely. to start. Um or even, you know, being in. Just try to find your indie stores and start. Um, we also sell online the audio book and the ebook. Uh, I, I can't remember if the ebook's available, <laughs> but we do have the audio book online uh, at www.thedocbookshop.com. I want to thank you so much for coming on Onshore. We look forward to having you in Texas. Um, I'm going to try to make that happen. Thanks a lot. I, I would love that. Thanks. I would love that. Thanks for coming and joining us today. Thank you, Donya. All right. Bye-bye.